Welcome to What I Didn't Know About Africa. I'm your host, Valerie Bowden. When I was 25, I backpacked across Africa by myself. After my journey, I lived in Ethiopia for eight years. African countries are very different from the stories I heard about them growing up. This is a space for anyone who wants to explore the continent. Join me every week for inspiring conversations with African entrepreneurs, leaders, and industry experts. We'll discover what's working and what's not, share business and investment ideas, and embark on a new understanding of this incredible continent. Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of What I Didn't Know About Africa, and today is a special episode. Recently, I had the honor of speaking at the University of Pittsburgh for the Center of African Studies, and I am so blown away by this department, and even the University of Pittsburgh is, I mean, they're doing so many incredible things, so I was really honored when I got to go downtown, speak in front of their students. Their students are so bright and so interested in Africa, and it's really refreshing to see a younger generation who has Africa on their radar and who wants to do business and investment and travel on the continent. Certainly when I was their age, I didn't know any of this. So I'm so grateful to see how the younger generations are evolving and learning and are interested in what's happening on the continent. And this is a presentation that highlights my experience backpacking Africa, all the different jobs I did when I was in Ethiopia, including working at the U.S. Embassy, having an agribusiness, um, starring in a, a film with an, an Ethiopian comedy movie. I share all of that and I give insights into what other business investment ideas I see that are popping up. And then at the end, I share a little bit about what our company Cradle is doing with the Fair Maid movement, with Gorilla Conservation Coffee, with hiring from the continent. So it's a pretty packed presentation and I can't wait for you to listen to it. It's about 45 minutes of me talking and then another 45 minutes of questions and answers at the end, which was really insightful. And so I, I hope you enjoy. Now, during this presentation that you'll be listening to, I obviously had a PowerPoint that I'm kind of referring to when I talk to the pictures. So you can listen to this. It's not going to be a problem. But if you want to see the actual slides and presentations that I was using, we have also uploaded this video onto our YouTube channel. So our YouTube handle is Cradle Africa, which is spelled, again, C-R-D-L-E Africa. And so you can actually see the PowerPoint slides there. But if not, just listen and enjoy. And as always, I hope that this sparks something in you to, to want to do more on the continent. So enjoy. The Center for African Studies is honored to host Valerie um, coming to share her experience with us. Um, Valerie took uh, the brief step of going to Africa and backpacking across uh, from Cape Town to Cairo. And she also lived in Cairo for, I mean, eight mm -hmm. years. Yep, Addis. Yeah. So there's so much she can unpack for us today, and there's so much we can learn from her in terms of what it means to live in Africa, traveling in Africa, and getting married in Africa, and relocating back to the U.S., and now she's here in Pittsburgh. And uh, when she reached out to us, she was like, guys, how, what can I do to support the work that the Center for African Studies does? So I'm going to take this moment to welcome Valerie um, on stage to share with us what it's been like living in Africa. And also, um, we, we will open up later for questions. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. 
Um, this is a small group, so we can make it informal. So if you want to stop along the way and ask questions, feel free. And thank you for coming today. Um, yeah, today I'll just tell you a little bit about how I went from the most typical Midwest American girl who knew nothing about African countries, um, and I grew up playing it very safe, to uh, this. If you can't tell, uh, this is a picture of me feeding a wild hyena raw meat out of my mouth. The, I did it because the hyena whisperer who's beside me told me it would be fine, but you can tell by his face that even he's getting concerned with how aggressive they were becoming. Um, so this was when I was backpacking across Africa, so I'll tell you a little bit about that, and then my time living and working in Ethiopia, and then at the end I can just tell you a little bit about our company Cradle, because we're working all throughout the continent, so it might interest you or the students. Um, so I am curious, before we get started, is there anybody, so who here was born or grew up in Africa? Okay. Cool. And what kind? I know you guys. What country were you, are you from? Nigeria. Nigeria. One of my best friends is from Nigeria. Um, fantastic. And then in this group, who here knows that you want to do some traveling in Africa? Okay. Um, is anybody looking to maybe move or live there for a while? Okay. Awesome. And anybody? Reese just came back. What? Tanzania. I love Tanzania. How long were you there for? Uh, like Did you have a good time? Yeah, Tanzania is awesome. Um, is there anybody here who wants to work, do business, or invest on the continent? Yeah. Cool, yeah, why not, right? I mean, it's the best idea. Um, perfect, okay, so um, before I start diving into my first time in Ethiopia, I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, so it's about five hours away from here. Um, so growing up, I knew like nothing about the continent. I was like a very typical American person. Um, I knew that my church sent missionaries and I knew that my grandma sponsored charities. Um, but other than that, I knew, knew nothing about it. So it's like very one-sided, very limited. And then if you were to ask me though, like where's the one place you wanna visit? I would have said Africa. Like even before I knew how big the continent was and how diverse the countries were, that was like the one place I was like, that's on my bucket list. Like that's where I have to travel to. So. Um, I went to college for social work and psychology, and then when I graduated, I was like, I have to go now. Like, why am I so obsessed with the continent I've never been to? I know no one from there. And before I get a real job and have no vacation days, I have to go now. And so I told my parents it would be like the most responsible decision because I could put international experience on my resume. And so I started reaching out to, to volunteer. Um, mostly because I didn't know you could just travel Africa. Like I really only thought you could only volunteer in Africa if that's where you're gonna, if that's why you're going. Um, so I got accepted to volunteer for three months in Ethiopia at a place that said they were helping um, orphans. Um, so I go to Ethiopia and like on my way there, I would not have been able to pinpoint where Ethiopia was on the map. Like my knowledge was so lacking and I didn't think of pictures like this, like these kind of pictures didn't come to my mind when I thought of Ethiopia. Um, but this is the Danical Depression. So this is like this outer space looking area in Ethiopia where a lot of sci-fi movies are being filmed at the moment. Um, so I go to Ethiopia and everything is surprising me in the best way possible. Um, so I learned when I came that Ethiopia is the country that discovered coffee. So are there any big coffee drinkers here? Okay, okay, so I mean the best cup of coffee is gonna be in Ethiopia, like hands down, it's the best coffee culture, they have amazing coffee ceremonies. 
Um, I fell in love with the Ethiopian food. It's still my favorite thing to eat. Um, and when I arrived, I also realized that Ethiopia is on a different calendar system. So did anybody here celebrate Ethiopian New Year's? It was on Tuesday, September 12th, 2023. It became year 2016. Um, so all of those kind of things to me were so interesting and I really loved the Ethiopian culture. But then as a volunteer, I started to see a lot of the negative things about volunteerism. So there's a lot of research that shows like some volunteering can be fantastic. The kind of volunteering I came for was the kind that was probably definitely not helping the community, probably causing harm. Um, and the nonprofit where I was staying was this very well-recognized charity. Um, it had garnered attention from celebrities, so like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie had stayed there. And when I arrived, I found out that they were illegally operating, so not paying taxes, not following government regulations. Um, and I soon learned that so many of the other American nonprofits that were well-known doing the same thing, like flying below the radar. Um, you know, ones that like, like if I said their name, you would know who they were. They just complete lack of um, following local regulations, mismanagement of funds, not creating the impact that they said that they were doing. Um, so that part was like really eye-opening to see like so many American nonprofits, not all of them, but many of them aren't doing what we think that they're doing. Um, and then the, the nonprofit that I was actually volunteering with during the day, I, I didn't realize that most or a lot of Ethiopian um, orphans still have parents who want them and love them. And so part of my job was to go to local courts and watch like the biological moms crying because they still wanted their kids, um, but didn't have money to, to help take care and raise them. And then I'd go to the orphanage where so many of these kids are very traumatized, um, missing their family. Um, many of them went from like a rural orphanage to the city orphanage. There's like a different language, um, you know, lots of trauma and loss for them. And then my my real job was also to take the American volunteer or American adopted parents um, to help them meet their kids. And so many of them were spending twenty to thirty thousand dollars to adopt one child. And I just kept thinking like you know, what if we, if there's all this money for helping orphans, what if we just invest it into a business or a factory that hired these women so they didn't have to give up their kids if they didn't want to? Um, and like nothing again against like international ado or adoption. I have three adopted siblings um, and many of the adoptive parents I know are very involved in the country. But to me, like the solution just wasn't being met. And so um, PBS did this documentary called The Orphan Myth. Um, so I was featured in it. And the international adoption agent that, agency that I was with was also in it, sharing the same view. So everybody knew that there was like a problem, but it just wasn't being solved. So I go back to the US, and I get my master's in social work. Um, and I start working in 9 to 5. And I can't get Ethiopia out of my head, because I had such like a great time with the, the culture. And I started thinking, like, if Ethiopia was so different than what I expected, what are other African countries like? Um, and so I started having these dreams of doing a backpacking road trip across the continent. And this was before I knew if it was possible or if it was safe or how I would do it. But I quit my job and I just decided to go for it. So this is a picture of me in Malawi. Um, so this picture makes me laugh because this is the tent that I used to sleep in. And I, I was in a national park and the, the guy who was helping me walked by and said, like, make sure you have like enough trees around the tent so that the hippos don't come in and eat you. And I was like, 
<laughs> oh my gosh, this is how I'm going to die. I'm going to get eaten by hippo in Malawi. Um, but I didn't, and I had, that's like Malawi was my favorite country that I visited on my trip. Um, so this is the route I did in total. Um, so I decided to start in South Africa, and I knew I wanted to revisit Ethiopia. And so I told my parents, like, there's only a few countries in between them, so I'm just going to go. I'm going to travel really fast. I will see you guys next month. Like, nothing to worry about. <laughs> um, and then my trip ended up lasting seven months and nine days. So I traveled <laughs> a little bit longer than I planned. Um, so in total, I went South Africa, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Malawi, Tanzania, Burundi, Rwanda, Uganda, uh, Kenya, Ethiopia, Sudan, and Egypt. Um, and I did it, yeah, all by myself, the backpack, a tent, um, and by public transport. Um, so if anybody else wants to do um, a similar route than me, I'll show you a few of my photos. Um, and I guess I should also include that one of the reasons why I traveled so much longer than I planned was because I started traveling South Africa and I was having a really good time. And I didn't know how to backpack, so I'm making all kinds of like, embarrassing mistakes. <laughs> like, I was lost, catching the wrong buses. I mean, mayhem. Um, but I was catching on to it, really enjoying it. And then I go into Mozambique, and as soon as I cross the border, Mozambique was so different than South Africa. And South Africa was so different than Ethiopia. So for the first time, I'm realizing like every country is its own travel destination. And I start meeting a lot of backpackers, because I didn't know there's tons of backpackers in Africa. Um, and so many of them were doing Cairo to Cape Town, and so they convinced me to do Cape Town to Cairo. So that's when I decided to like slow my trip down, go as slow as possible, save as much money, um, and then try and see as many countries as I can. So that's kind of how that just kind of naturally evolved. Um, so this was Cape Town, so shark diving is super fun, significantly more scary than I thought it would be. Um, this is Tanzania, Zanzibar. Were you in Zanzibar when you were in Tanzania? Oh, okay. Cool. Um, so this, I, this is one of my favorite things I did in Zanzibar was swimming with these turtles. But then last night I was on Instagram and I saw this guy who also was in the same turtle sanctuary that I was, but all the turtles were biting him instead. So I, I had a great time. I don't know. Um, this is Kenya. I went ostrich riding, which is really hard. They're very angry, but it was a good experience. Um, this is in Uganda. Uh, so I went gorilla trekking. Um, in Buwindi, which was one of my favorite experiences, um, because when you're going through the forest, it's so dense. So you like move a branch, and then all of a sudden there's like a gorilla right there. So you get super, super close. Um, this is the silverback I saw um, on my trip, and his name was Rafiki. And then just a few years ago, he was actually killed. Um, there was someone who went into the forest illegally, didn't have any income, um, was hunting, and then unfortunately kind of ran into the gorilla group and there was like conflict and then Rafiki got killed. So now one of the things our company does is we're working with a Ugandan um, coffee company and we're importing their coffee and they're creating jobs by um, supporting coffee farmers in the area. So that's pretty um, cool to still kind of have that connection. Um, this is the Nile River, so I went whitewater rafting in Uganda on the Nile, which is really cool. And my knowledge, again, of African countries was so limited that I didn't even know that the Nile started in Uganda. So my entire trip was just like learning and discovering things I should have obviously known before, but um, didn't. This is what like a typical border crossing looks like. Um, so you kind of get dropped off at one area, and then your bus takes off and does its own immigration process, and then you just walk across this no man's land. Um, 
This is in Sudan. So again, I didn't know that there were pyramids in Sudan, but that was almost more authentic than the pyramids in Egypt because they only get one traveler per day on average when I was there. And so you get the whole pyramids to yourself. Um, so that was really fun. Um, so like I said, I did my whole trip by public transport, lots of minibuses, um, lots of hitchhiking, a cargo boat, train. Um, but this is a backpacker I met on the right who did the entire trip I did by bicycle. And I met tons of people doing the Cape to Cairo by bicycle. So there's so many ways to travel. Um, right before I did my trip, there was a girl who just walked all across South Africa by herself. So there's so many ways to travel the continent, which is really fun. And the one question that when I came back, everybody asked was, like, do you feel safe? Because everybody is just amazed that I did it and nothing bad happened. And so I always tell them this, like, if I said, would you guys go on vacation with me? If we're going to a country and every, like, every 32.1 minutes somebody is murdered and every 3.8 minutes somebody is raped, would you want to go travel to that country with me? No. <laughs> I, so I, these are the, the FBI statistics for the United States. So I think it helps to put things in context that, you know, it's, it's really, a lot of things are very relative. Um, and then this is the Global Peace Index, which I've been following ever since I did my backpacking trip. But um, in 2023, 36 African countries ranked more peaceful than the United States. And so Mauritius was first in, in Africa at spot number 23. And then for context, UK was number 37, the US was number 131, and Afghanistan, which is bottom on the list, was 163. So the US is literally only 30 spots higher than the last country on the entire list. Um, so when I got to Cairo, I did not want to go home because after seven months of crazy adventures and traveling by myself and exploring, like you can't go back to a normal nine to five job in the US, right? Um, so I had gotten a job offer in Ethiopia um, to work with a women's exporter association. And so I went home for Christmas and I told my parents, like, I'm just gonna go back to Ethiopia. It's like a six month work visa and then I'll be back. And then I ended up staying for eight years. So <laughs> my parents don't believe anything I say anymore. Um, and then part of the reason, I guess, in full transparency is because my husband I met along the way um, is Ethiopian. And so we have two kids. So my son Zion is three. He was born in Addis. And then my daughter Faven was born. Um, she's 10 months. So she was born here in Pittsburgh um, at the end of last year. So when I got to Ethiopia, I no longer knew what I wanted to do because my entire education had been in social work. Um, I, I didn't really want to be part of many of the American charities that I saw there. And when I was backpacking, although 90% of it was just like super fun and adventures. I was stopping at different places along. So I'd stop at like missionaries that my parents knew. I'd stop at women's associations and tech hubs and businesses. And the thing that resonated the most with me was just good companies creating jobs. I thought was the coolest impact. Um, so I get to Ethiopia and I start trying all different kinds of jobs. So I don't know if there's anyone here who's changed their major a lot or had a lot of random jobs. Like, I promise it all works out in the end. <laughs> but um, I've learned to embrace what Marie Forleo says. Like, it's just being multi-passionate. So I've explored all kinds of things. Um, so for a while, I had an agribusiness. So I was making Ethiopian-inspired snacks. And then I would sell them at, like, hotels and grocery stores with, like, the plans of exporting. Um, at one point, I was in an Ethiopian comedy movie. So when the movie came out, I was, like, on billboards all over the city. And 
the movie still comes out on TV, and so my nieces will call me and say that they watched it. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> um, I worked inside the U.S. Embassy as a like at their cafeteria, so I wasn't embassy staff, but I worked inside the embassy, which was fun. And then right before COVID hit, I got involved in outsourcing. So if you didn't know, like McDonald's, um, Mastercard, Intel, Walmart, they're all utilizing outsourcing teams in East Africa. Um, and one of the things I really liked about outsourcing is that sometimes you'll get a request from a client to hire 20 people, and within a few months, you can scale that up to 100 people. So I thought it was like a really cool job creation and then a clear win-win on either side. Um, so I was in Ethiopia up until last year, and then I moved here to Pittsburgh um, with our family, and then I launched my own company called Cradle. Um, so before I just tell you a little bit about what we're doing, I just want to, I guess, reiterate, I feel like the three lessons from what I've learned, um, which is one, travel is the most responsible thing you can do. And this is something that I wasn't told as like a college student. I was always told like, get the job, be really career focused. But for me, travel opened up everything. Like my seven month trip is the reason why I lived overseas for eight years. It's how I met my husband. It changed my career directory. Um, so it's amazing, but I also just think like even if you just travel and come home and nothing major changes, it still makes you a better person, right? Like the kind of person who has to get on an airplane, go to a country where you know no one, navigate public transport in a different language, meet different values and cultures and politics and religions, like that changes you. And so I would always just encourage anyone to travel as much as you can, as long as you can during summer vacations, take a gap year, the first year out of college, do it because nobody nobody ever regrets travel, right? You only regret not traveling, so do it as much as you can. And then also just so that like no one's mom calls me, <laughs> I wanna say like travel as much as you can, but do it safely, right? So um, just a few safety tips that I found really helpful when I was traveling is um, to follow the advice of the CDC. So if you go to the CDC website, you can type in any single country and they'll tell you exactly what vaccines, um, what medications and what things to watch out for. So, like I always tell people, like the reason why I didn't get yellow fever is because I took the yellow fever vaccine. And the reason why I didn't get malaria is because I took malaria medicine. So it's really that simple. Um, I would say that like the CDC probably wouldn't approve feeding a hyena out of your mouth. But for the most part, like I really <laughs> try to be safe and um, it really significantly helped me. Um, number two is that you can go to the U.S. State Department. Um, again, type in any country and they'll tell you if that country is safe to visit or not because not every country is always safe to visit all the time, right? So that really helps you figure out what country you should and shouldn't enter. I find that the UK travel warnings are so much more balanced. The US will make you never want to travel to that country. You will be so scared. The UK is really balanced and they have really awesome maps. So like this is a map of Mozambique. Um, so you can see like 90% of Mozambique is safe to travel except for the very north and then you just avoid that area. And I found that to be like really common when I was traveling African countries is that 80% of the country is fine. There's just a couple of regions you avoid and then it doesn't impact your, your trip at all. Um, third thing is to always ask um, locals. So I find the best people to ask is people in the tourism industry. So backpack lodge um, workers, hotel owners, um, because those are the people that are going to push you to have the best possible time ever, but they also really don't want anything bad to happen to you. So they'll tell you what to avoid as well. Um, and then travelers, because again, there's so many backpackers in Africa. I would meet one backpacker in a country and then meet him again in several other countries. Um, and so it's a really nice way that you can exchange information because you're probably going where they just came from and vice versa. 
And then the last thing is common sense. Like the only people, the only backpackers I met who really found themselves in a real pickle were the ones that just did not do common sense. So anything I think as a college student or anyone's following, like don't walk alone at night by yourself. Um, don't leave your drink unattended. Like those basic things, you should follow them anywhere else in the world. And you know, these are the safety tips that I pretty much followed when I was traveling and I have no scary story. <laughs> I had a really safe trip. Um, so lesson number two that again, I wish somebody would have told me is to like living overseas, even for a short time is super smart. So it's amazing that you were in Tanzania. Do you want to say something? Oh, yeah. Sorry for the question. Yeah. Yeah. So you said that um, traveling overnight is probably, I mean, yeah, overnight, uh, you should probably go with a group. So what did you do? Like on certain nights, did you travel by yourself? Or? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, I wouldn't walk, like, if I was going out to eat, I wouldn't have, like, walked home by myself. I wouldn't have walked back to, like, my tent by myself. I would have taken, like, a taxi or gone with a group. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I was traveling by myself. Sometimes I took, like, those overnight buses. Um, and even though I was like traveling by myself, I also like to say that I was never alone, right? Because you meet so many other travelers and there's like a billion people on the continent. So you're never like really truly alone. So yeah, I found, yeah, during the day I traveled and it's just like at night I wouldn't walk home from like if I was at a bar or something by myself. Yeah, good question. Um, so um, I, there's a lot of reasons why, like I think like your trip to Tanzania for a few months or no matter if you wanna go for a few months or six months, a year, eight years. I feel like there's so many advantages in ways I grew living overseas. Um, you know, travel is really light and fun. And then when you, when I actually started living in Ethiopia, it's a completely different ball game, right? The travel is really fun and exciting. And then living actually is, can be really difficult in a way that you actually start to learn what the problems are and the challenges are. And my understanding after living there is so much different than what it would have been if I just would have been traveling there. Um, but I always tell people, like, if somebody wants to learn French, you can learn French cheaper in Africa than you can in France. Um, or if you have a lot of student loans, I truly think one of the best things you can do is try and live in a country that has a lower cost of living while making a typical U.S. salary. So whether you're working for local company or nonprofit or an American company that's paying you a good salary, or maybe you just get like a US job and you work remote, but you're living in a place like this is Malawi. Like if you can live here in Lake Malawi, make American money, live on, you know, the cost of living is really low. You can pay off your student loans so much faster while having like an amazing cultural experience at the same time. Last thing is like, I know they say it all the time, Africa's the last frontier, but when I was, you know, in college, nobody told me like the smartest place to do business is in the African continent. But after living there for so long, like there's so many reasons why I think people should be doing business, investment, or just being aware of the opportunities that are happening. Um, I know this group is like obviously super aware, <laughs> which is really cool. Um, but when I was growing up, I had no idea. And when I came, when I came to Pittsburgh and people found out that I was in Ethiopia for eight years, the first thing they say is, were you a missionary? And I was like, no, I was doing business and investment. And they're like, what? And it's like, you really have to like, like they don't even quite comprehend it. So the knowledge for most people that you can do business and investment on the continent is just not there, which is really unfortunate, I think. Um, so these are three ways that I think, like if you are interested in doing business and investment, these are three ways that I see a lot of people doing it. The first one is remote team. So that's obviously something we do, but 
everybody knows that you can get a developer out of India or a VA out of the Philippines, but nobody knows the African countries are becoming like the next tech hub destinations. So imagine if you graduate from here and you get a job and you, you can influence the leadership team and say like we should have a smart hybrid model and hire some remote teams in East Africa. So we do a lot of cold callers from Ethiopia, we do developers, virtual assistants, and the fasting grow like the fastest growing startups that we work with and that our clients are all utilizing remote offshore teams. And there's so many ways to make it work. Um, so yeah, I think it's just it's really good to be aware that there's amazing talent on the continent that you can hire. Um, second thing is unique products. So um, this is, I don't know if you can tell, this is 54 Thrones. Has anybody ever heard of that brand? So it's really cool brand and it's a female entrepreneur and she basically is taking wellness and skincare ideas from traditional African cultures and she's sourcing like the products like the shea butter and the honey um, from African countries and then she makes it and now this product is being sold at Sephora. So for anybody who's looking to get into business and you're looking for unique ingredients, whether that's for skincare, whether that's like the next superfood because you're in the food industry. Um, I know a lot of people who are interested in like traditional medicinal herbs coming from Africa, especially after COVID when people want more natural um, products, like in the same way that Chinese herbs are so well known, more and more of that's happening out of African cultures. Um, I know like whenever I was sick in Ethiopia, I would go to my mother-in-law's house and she would give me damakasi and it was some leaf and it made me feel so much better the next day. So I think there's a lot of industries trying to figure out how can we um, look into African cultures and then buy um, and do more direct trade. And then the third thing is just starting or investing in a business that is on the continent. Um, so one of the ideas that I really like that I've helped people do is um, like starting a coffee company. Um, so there's a really great one in Ethiopia that I know that does white label. So they will source specialty coffee from Ethiopian coffee farmers. They pay them a really fair price. They have an amazing roasting facility that has FDA requirements and ISO and all of that stuff. And then they'll package it in your packaging and ship it to you in the US and you can sell it to your customers. So it's a really cool way to get started in a business without having to have, like invest the millions in getting like your own coffee facility set up. Um, okay, so let me just wrap up and tell you a few things about what we're doing. So our company is called Cradle. Um, you know, after living down the continent, like one of the things I really love is just fair trade and good business. And this is a quote from the president of Rwanda who I think just like the only person making sense. <laughs> and so he says, I often wonder why the West is much more interested in aid deliveries than in fair trade, for example. The fair exchange of goods would place far more money into the hands of the affected people than relief operations. And I just see that over and over. When there's really good business, there is just sustainable income for communities. And so I knew that when I started my own business, I wanted to do something that created jobs, but also really kind of like represented the image that I saw on the continent, which wasn't what I grew up with, but really highlighted the skills, the strengths, like the, the really cool things. Um, so the first thing and probably the thing that most of our clients know us for is that we do remote job opportunities for um, African professionals. So we're getting more and more Pittsburgh companies as clients, which is really fun. Um, the next time you have a cold caller who calls you, it may be one of our Ethiopian cold callers, so be nice. Um, but we, we do everything from cold callers, developers, virtual assistants, data entry, and it's really cool because 
the talent is incredible. Um, and there's so many companies in the US who are open to remote opportunities because of after COVID. And so we just kind of act as like the matchmaker. And then on the back end, we help with like the management. Um, and it creates such a clear win-win. Um, the second thing um, is we, this is the coffee company I mentioned. So this is Gorilla Conservation Coffee. Does anybody know who Dr. Gladys is? Have you heard of her before? Okay, she's so cool. She was Uganda's first wildlife veterinarian. Um, so she started a really cool nonprofit called Conservation Through Public Health, which is working in Bawindi. So she helps um, do gorilla research, and then she's also involved with like health initiatives. Um, and then she really wanted to make her nonprofit sustainable and to also create more jobs in the Bowindi area. Um, so she started Gorilla Conservation Coffee, and so we are her U.S. importer. Um, and every Wednesday, like the last Wednesday of every month, we do a call called the Gorilla Guardians Call. So it's anybody who's interested in like gorilla conservation or has been to Uganda. Um, and we hop on the call with someone from either her team or who's involved with, it could be like a park ranger. Um, there's in Uganda, one of, the, one of the things that happens is like if your house is by the gorillas, once in a while you get like a gorilla in your backyard. So there are these volunteers that you call and they help get the gorilla out of your yard without causing any conflict between the people um, and the gorillas because maybe they're eating their bananas. Like it's a whole problem. So our, like, our desire for the calls is to bring people like that on and just to be like, how do you get a gorilla out of a backyard? Like what is that like? What happens? And just to like kind of feel more like you're on the ground and to be more part of like what they're doing and what they're sponsoring. Um, and then this is her book. So it's, it's a really great book for anyone who's interested in reading it. Um, the third thing we're doing is we just launched a podcast like this week, so we only have the trailer out, um, but it's really just the fact that we love telling Americans and the rest of the world, like, you should be doing smart business, like, we should be doing more travel to the continent, um, and just kind of really looking at the impact that's good and the impact that's bad. Um, and so our desire for this is just to bring on people on the ground and interview them and everything kind of like on my backpacking trip where one day I'm traveling and the next day I'm at a tech hub and we're just kind of learning all different kinds of things. So it's going to be one day we're talking about things you didn't know about Ethiopia. The next day we're talking about like, should you donate a shoebox during Christmas time? All of those kind of topics are what we're going to cover on the podcast. So tune in. Um, and then the very last thing we're doing is we're part of a grassroots movement. Um, so this will be the last thing I share, but I wanted to get a survey and see, um, do you guys know which chocolate bar has a bigger social impact? So this is one from Uganda. Um, I got this at Trader Joe's. It's single origin chocolate. And then this one I got from, Mad uh, from Whole Foods. It's from Madagascar and also single origin chocolate. So raise your hand if you think this one's making the biggest social impact. Raise your hand if you think this one's making the biggest social impact. Yeah, why do you think that? Okay. It was a good guess, you're right. Um, so the way you can tell is that like on the back of this chocolate bar, it says product of Italy. So it's kind of confusing when you're like, this is Uganda, like this screams Uganda, but it's a product of Italy. So what's happening, right? Um, so what's happening is that 70% of the world's cocoa comes from Africa, but less than 1% is actually made into a chocolate bar. So the, these farmers, amazing farmers, but they're shipping their cocoa to Italy, and then it's made into chocolate in Italy, and then it comes to the U.S., and then it's distributed to consumers. Whereas this one, they literally include like a map on their, on the back of their package 
where they're getting the cocoa, the vanilla, and then they're also processing it into chocolate on the island. Um, so I, and then they send it to the US. So I can, I mean, I would be really interested in the environmental impact as well, like the carbon footprint. Um, I don't think anybody's studying that, but what we found is that this creates three times more jobs because you have the factory, you have the other inputs. Um, in the factory, you're hiring people, you're hiring HR, cleaners, people who are making the food, and then you have the indirect jobs that are harder to measure, but when you have a factory where everyone's making money, now you have stores, cafes, restaurants that are popping up. Now this whole neighborhood is making so much money, and then they're going home to their families who are buying more clothes and food and healthcare, and so it just, it significantly makes a bigger impact. Um, and Brett Beach, who is the founder of Mia, which is another chocolate factory in Madagascar, he always gives the illustration, like, kids in America know that you make money by selling lemonade, not lemons. Like, the profit, the value is in lemonade. And unfortunately, most of the products coming out of Africa are just the raw commodities and not the finished goods. Um, so nothing about, like, cancel culture, right? But the goal would be to encourage Trader Joe's to say, like, hey, you guys have money. You guys are conscious. Your customers are very conscious. What if we expanded your impact and you started making the chocolate in Uganda as well? Um, and we know a lot of exporters um, who, who would love to do finished products, but also the funding to do it is really difficult as well. Um, but this movement that we're kind of part of is called Fair Made. Um, so we just got the domain, fairmadeisbetter.com. I don't know if the website's up yet, but check it out in maybe a month or so. Um, and so what we're trying to do is help all the finished products that are coming out of African countries to kind of help with the marketing efforts because most consumers and most buyers still don't know that fair made, 100% value made in Africa is significantly better. So what we're doing is we have a grassroots movement where we basically contacted all the fair made products that we know are in Africa and we're all coming together um, to talk about collaboratively marketing, sharing, this, sharing the same words. Everybody uses different words, value added, fair made, made in Africa, and so it's kind of almost getting watered down. So we're coming together to start collectively using the same marketing language. Um, we're trying to get press involved and really just like share this and help consumers to know. Um, so it's free, it's not a certificate because we don't have any backing for this, but it's about just coming together and start having these conversations. So I put these up here so you can see some of my favorite brands. So Beyond Good is the one that's here. They have different ones, Whole Foods, um, Fresh Time has them. They're really good chocolate. Um, Kazi Yetu is a really cool tea company in Tanzania. Yeah, yeah, they're amazing. Um, they're entering the U.S. market soon, too. So if you're looking for a Christmas gift for a tea drinker, pick up their tea. It's really good. Um, they source the tea from Kilimanjaro. They got a lot of their spices from Zanzibar. And they make it in, like, a, I think it's like a 90% female-run facility. It's really cool. Um, Zalt is a really cool, I don't know if you saw that as well. It's, like, a really cool salt company from Zanzibar. And they make, like flavored salt. Um, Fair Africa and Mia, again, chocolate um, bars, so there's a lot springing up, which is really cool. Lovegrass is one of my favorite ones. They're from Ethiopia, so they make teff products, super healthy, super clean. Um, you know, teff is like Ethiopia's grain, and it's tiny. It's really, really hard to eat, so he's actually processing it into like all kinds of different products. Um, and they're in Whole Foods in the UK, so I'm hoping that they also come to the US soon. Um, Beyond the Nut is a really cool cashew brand, and then there's lots of roasted coffee companies springing up too. So yeah, the movement is really just about coming together and helping organize it in an efficient way to spread the word. So 
that's what I have. Um, thank you guys for coming. Um, does anybody have questions? Does anybody want to eat chocolate? We can pass around some chocolate bars. Do you have a question? Do you want chocolate? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I haven't, this is a new flavor, so I haven't tried this one, so I'm curious. I just want to know what is. Yeah, we'll try both and then see which one's better. Um, so we, when we are working with remote teams, we work in any country. So right now we have people from Ghana, Zimbabwe, Ethiopia, Uganda, hopefully Rwanda soon. Um, Zimbabwe, yeah, Zimbabwe. So those are the ones, but we don't exclude any country, I guess. Yeah, good question. I think I got, when I was in Ethiopia and I was looking for funding for my agribusiness, you'd go on to get like a grant or to apply for an opportunity. And I was like, oh, not available in Ethiopia. So we didn't want to do that with remote jobs. We just wanted to make it like open to anyone who needs a job and has the qualifications. We like on more than as possible. Yeah. Opening your business out of Pittsburgh, I know the hub for like international business and nonprofit work is smaller than some other yeah. cities in the U.S., so I don't know if you could speak to that a bit. That's a good question. I mean, I feel like people in Pittsburgh are super, super nice, um, so everybody's really quite willing to listen. I think a lot of American companies, when they hear Africa, it's like a, like the phone hangs up, like they're just, they don't even want to hear anymore. Um, but we're getting more and more Pittsburgh companies trying it out, which is really nice. And we always say, like, you could try it out for 30 days and cancel anytime, And then that helps people get onboarded, and then they don't cancel because it's, a, it's like, a great win-win. And, like, slowly then I try to infuse, like, the, the culture into it as well. So, like, this week we were telling everyone how it was, like, Ethiopian New Year's. And it was, like, you know, people were, like, floored. They didn't know that. So that was really fun. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would say generally I'm the first person they've ever met who's who's talking about what we're talking about. So it's a lot of education and awareness. Um, so yeah, the, hence why we're starting a podcast, right? Because that's, like, that's one of the biggest challenges. So overall, I would say it's good because people are nice, but um, it takes a lot of work to convince them. Um, Amazing work. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So, uh, do you have uh, employees from Africa? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, do you also uh, sell your products in Africa? Mm, and uh, how do you manage to? How do you manage to? Uh, to be able to uh, work with uh, people in Africa, uh, because sometimes. I have not checked the the, 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 the market, the, mm -hmm. the particular niche that you are in, because sometimes it's actually very difficult to uh, to to be able to uh, do business remotely uh, mm -hmm. in the African market when you're operating remotely, because people want to see you face to face. Yeah. So how are you dealing with this? Yeah, great question. 
Um, yeah, so our, our team, we're small, but um, everybody on our team is from Africa, which I think is cool. Um, I took on a business partner who's in the UK, but he's from Uganda. Um, so that really helps. Um, you know, I, I always feel like our company should grow the fastest because we have access to like the best talent. So I hope that we can show that more one day. We're still quite, I mean, we've, this has like been one year exactly since starting. And two months after I started it, I gave birth. So it, you know, it took a while to get and get going. Um, but remote work, um, well, regarding the product, so the only product we're doing right now is the Gorilla Conservation Coffee. So that is sold in Uganda. Um, and they also have a UK importer and I think someone in Australia. So we're the, just the US one. I, I would say the challenge is with the products at least is that with inflation and cost of shipping and all of that, it's really expensive coffee. Um, even though we're not making like a high profit. Like I think our profit's like a dollar, right? <laughs> like it's really small. So there's a lot of room that we're trying to constantly brainstorm on how to grow it. So yeah, the hardest part about the products is shipping costs and getting it here. Um, regarding re remote work, it's hard because some companies close you down because they really want in-house people. I guess that's like the, the conversation having now, right? Employers want people to come back. So the ones who want that, they're not gonna choose us because they don't want remote talent anyways. But there's so many really fast-moving startups who love remote talent, and we're already utilizing teams in the Philippines before they met us, and they're just super happy to have more countries to, to hire from that they didn't know was possible. When it comes to, like, obviously we have some power and electricity issues, so if we have talent, if they have backup power, that's ideal. That's more common, like in Uganda, we find a lot of our VAs have backup talent. In Ethiopia, most of them don't. Um, so in that case, uh, we try to match them with like a UK client because then they're more on the same time zone. So if power goes out, they can run to like a hotel and finish up their work. Um, if they don't have great backup power, we can't do anything that's like incoming. So we would never put someone as a contact center rep when they're like receiving phone calls if they don't have good power. Um, they, they would be more like a cold caller who would be outgoing. Um, and especially like if it's US hours, because they're working at nighttime, it really has to be someone who has backup power um, or it's a job where they can make up the work the next day on their own hours. Otherwise it doesn't work. So that's kind of the part behind the scenes that we're trying to navigate. And I wish that there was like really cheap inverters that we could just give everybody that we hire, but we're not there yet, but hopefully someday maybe we will be. Uh, regarding backup power, I, I think uh, I would just like to add yeah. that uh, if you want to do business in Africa and you want an alternative in case you mm -hmm. have blackouts, I think uh, you should go for, depending on the country, but for a majority of countries you should go for solar because mm -hmm. it is not only very good for mm -hmm. a continent where you have a lot of sunlight, yeah. but it is also environmentally friendly. Yes. And also, when I was in Ethiopia, another, another one of my jobs that didn't make it onto the PowerPoint, because I, again, I had so many jobs, was working at like a solar company. So I think inverters are more common in other African countries, but in Ethiopia, they're brand new. So we had to do a lot of work to tell people about them because they weren't in the market. But one of the advantages of like an inverter, right, is it's environmentally friendly, plus it doesn't make the noise, where like a generator makes a lot of noise. And Ethiopia also has like fuel shortages. So you know, you run out of power and then you have to go to the gas station and wait in an hour and a half in line and come back. It's not feasible, right? So yeah, solar energy is there. I think there's a lot of cool companies working on it. 
I hope that it becomes more like widespread where it's just everywhere. Um, but yeah, that's a really good point. It's, it's really important. Yeah, and it's also like the first question that any of our clients ask like, is about like the electricity. So it's something we always have to answer and then we're always like, mm-hmm. And then on the back end, we're like scrambling to figure out like how they're gonna get power if it goes out. Um, yeah. So, uh, did you visit any West African countries? No, <laughs> I didn't. And again, you only regret the places you didn't travel, right? So in my head, I'm like, oh, like I, like I wish I could go like the opposite route, right? Now I have, you know, two small kids, so I don't think it's going to be happening anytime soon, but I know for sure that another day I'll do, like, maybe, like, Morocco back to Cape Town, you know? Um, yeah, we're hiring more and more from Ghana and Nigeria as well, so I'm going to try to fit it in, make it a tax write-off, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully I'll get there. So what has been some of the most challenges you've encountered, not just backpacking across Africa, but your business? Yeah, I think, I mean, part of my business was lack of finance. Like finance was, is really hard to get. I, I don't think it needs to be. I dream of someday having the power to be in charge of the funding. And I feel like, I feel like me and our business partners, I feel like we could figure it out. But yeah, lack of finance is really hard. Um, I think it's like lack of awareness. It's, uh, when it comes to remote jobs, it's always lack of awareness. Nobody knows you can hire your next best virtual assistant from Zimbabwe, right? So you have to do a lot of convincing to get somebody to try it out. Um, when it comes to physical prices, it's always the cost because the cost is higher. And a lot of like the fair made products, they're, they're so small that they are more expensive. And when a consumer, sees them at the store, they don't know that's a bigger social impact, and you know, they choose a cheaper one. So I think that's the hardest part about the, the physical products. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'm curious, again, going back to your backpack trip, because I'm just so amazed that you, you know, we're sleeping yeah. in a tent. Mm -hmm. So how often was that, that you were sleeping in a tent? And um, like where, like how did you even find places to sleep? Yeah. And um, I'm just so curious like that you didn't get like a lot of male attention or if you did, like how did you, yeah. you know? Um, I how, Yeah, how did, how did you deal with that? Good question. I always tell people the only time I had a very negative encounter with a guy who was just being totally inappropriate was an American backpacker. Come on now, it was, and I only met like five Americans. Like most of the backpackers I met were from Europe or Israel, Australia. I met like five American backpackers and one of them was horrific, right? So um, in terms of where I stayed, so I originally started staying at backpacker lodges um, or sometimes I knew people along the way. Um, in Kenya, I met someone on Twitter who lived in the US, but he said his sister lives in Nairobi, so she, like he connected us, and I just, that's how I met her. Um, I stayed at Backpacker Lodges, but then I would say I'm like 50% like introverted, so after staying with all these people, I was like, I really need some alone time. Like I really need to like not talk to anyone in journal. So I, I bought a tent along the way, so that they have like camping sections where you can put your tent up, and then I would have like, I would, it would just be a little bit more quiet, you don't listen to anyone snoring, 
Um, so yeah, most of the time I was like at hostels along the way. Um, one time I remember in Zanzibar, I took a cargo boat to like the mainland that wasn't Dar es Salaam. So it was like a very small village and they only had one hotel, which was like five rooms um, and it was full. So then I had nowhere to stay. So in that case, I just knocked like on the first house I saw um, and a woman entered and she didn't speak English, but she could just tell I needed somewhere to stay. And then I slept in her bed with her that night because <laughs> there was there was like no, it was like two rooms, she only has one bed and I just slept on the opposite side and I felt so safe and cozy. And um, then like the next morning, I remember getting on the bus and the woman next to me was like a Maasai warrior who was like completely topless. And I was just like, what have I been doing? Like I took a cargo boat, I'm like bailing out water, I'm sleeping in a bed with some woman I don't know. And then I'm on this bus and like, oh, there's Kilimanjaro that we're passing. Like it was very like, where am I? But really fun um, and it, like just, yeah, different experience. So yeah, I just found different places along the way. In Ethiopia, I stayed a little bit longer. So I rented like an apartment for a month. Um, in Sudan, I thought I was gonna run out of money because you can't use your ATM. So it's like only the money you have is what you have. And then I miss the boat to Egypt and the boat only comes once a week. So then I had to stay in Sudan like an extra week than I planned. Um, and so I almost ran out of money and my plan was just like knock on someone's house and stay with them again because they were like, Sudanese are like the nicest people and like the safest country I visited was Sudan. So that was like my plan then that I would just be on the locals. But yeah, I mean, people are really nice and yeah, you find places. <laughs> nicest place you visited was in Sudan because yes. I feel like um, I mean, most countries I've visited in Africa the people are so warm and friendly yeah. so so tell me then Sudan how was how is how are the Sudanese even more welcoming okay. than other countries so again as I was beginning to travel and meeting these Cairo to Cape Town travelers I kept saying like even Sudan like as an American even Sudan I can visit and they're like the Sudanese are the nicest so yeah so then <laughs> After, tra so I crossed the border from Ethiopia into Sudan, but um, I missed the bus to the border the first time because like Ethiopia, like the hotel I was staying at had um, American pancake breakfast and I was like, I'll miss the bus. Like, I don't care. Like it's been six months. I really want pancakes. So I missed the bus. I go to the Sudanese border and there was like no hotels on the border. I missed the bus. There was nothing there. Um, and so there was like a group of 10 guys from Turkey who were doing like um like an aid trip um, throughout like rural Sudan. And they told me they would take me to Khartoum, um, but it would take like three days. So I just like traveled with them for three days. Looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, 10 men, I don't know, in the most rural part I've ever been. Nicest guys ever. Um, we still keep in contact. I like visited them in Turkey later on. Um, but yeah, we met so many Sudanese people. And one point we got invited into like the governor's house. Um, and this was still like, like, this is like the second day. So I still like a little bit freaked out to be in Sudan. Like I just really felt like they would hate me as an American. Um, and the governor asked me in front of his entire party, like, you know, where are you from? And I almost lied and said Canada, but instead I said America. And he was like, welcome. Like, I'm so happy you're here. I know you've heard horrible stories about us, but I think you'll feel welcome. And I did, I felt so welcome. And then afterwards, he was like, you know, I'm like the Obama of this land because I was like, <laughs> I was traveling when Obama was president. I think he like didn't know what, like he didn't think I knew a government. So he's like, I'm like Obama of this land, of this area. And I was like, thank you for 
were trying to explain that to me in like a language you thought I would understand. Like that's so sweet. And the people were so nice. Um, everywhere I went, people were really friendly and kind, super safe. Um, honestly, the biggest problem about Sudan is like, I think I gained 10 pounds there. Like they have really good desserts and I would get like a kilo of desserts, like two pounds of desserts and I just eat them and I gained so much weight in Sudan. Like that is like, that's what you should watch out for. But yeah, I found people really, really nice. And there they don't have backpacking lodges. Like there's not like a big backpacking community there. So I stayed in hotels. And they had, like, I watched more American movies in Sudan than I had, like, in years. Like, it was, like, the most American movies were on TV there. So it was, I think you realize, like, government is not the people. So you hear bad things about the government, but it's not the people. The people are probably nicest because they've also been oppressed by maybe their government leaders. So, yeah, Sudan's amazing. Yeah, Malawi is the other country that I feel like nobody talks about. Nicest people in the world best place, like really good backpacking culture. Um, yeah, I think it, like the lesson I learned is don't believe anything you hear on the media and just trust the other travelers you meet because all the travelers told me like, go to Sudan, go to Malawi, and then you get there and I don't know why the media is not better, but yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, so my question is kind of about trusting people and all that because um when i went to tanzania yeah. uh, i mean for me for example i don't really think that um and I'm, nothing against you but i'm not thinking about like oh you know one country you know nicest people i just see like when i was in tanzania i met good people great people and then yeah. i met bad people mm -hmm. so i'm well it's true i mean any, every country yeah, every country has bad um, apples so how are you, you like the case with the 10 men and other instances oh, during your adventure in Africa, how are you able to distinguish, mm, is this person good? Is this person yeah. like bad or just based off your intuition? Yeah. Because I could kind of, I could like say I traveled around America and I kind of trust people, but I don't know if I would, like, I don't know, I, I just, when I was in Africa, I felt a little bit less trustworthy of the like mm -hmm. people. But, yeah. Um, as me being a Westerner. Yeah. I mean, I can, I would also say like, yeah, good question. It is hard to know who to trust. And there are bad apples everywhere, right? And again, like hitchhiking used to be really safe in the US when my grandma was growing up. So maybe eventually it won't be as safe in certain African countries like I found it to be. Um, sometimes it was like an intuition, like you can kind of trust it. Like I remember one time in Zanzibar, um, like I got lost and I needed to figure out where my boat was. And there was a guy who was like, I was just in Kenya. I totally understand what it's like to be a foreigner. Like, I'll just show you where the boat was. And he seemed really nice. And then it was like, here's your boat. See you later. Like, it was just really like that simple. Um, there was a time in, um, I forget where I was, but I was like traveling and some guy offered to give me a ride, but I was with two guy backpackers. And I was like, oh, can they come too? And he was like, no. I was like, no, I'll pass. I'll, I'll keep walking, you know? Like, just kind of like that. Um, I don't, I felt like, I feel like a lot of, stereotypes about African countries aren't true, but one I found was like people are very welcoming to foreigners, yeah. um, especially when they see that you're a traveler and like they want you to have a good time, like tourism is great, like they're very welcoming. Um, a lot of times people would say like, this is how I hope someone would help my mom or my sister. Um, yeah, so yeah, I think a lot of it's intuition, and you know, using common sense. I also think like I hitchhiked in Ethiopia up until COVID hit 
And one reason why I felt safe doing that is like the traffic in Addis is so bad. Like you're never going more than five miles per hour. Like if, if it was a bad person, I could just hop out of the car. In the US, you'd be on a highway, you'd be totally screwed, right? Like, but in Addis, like, it's still very common. Like my husband would pick up hitchhikers. Like it's common, people know transport's bad. They, people pull over to open the car door and people pile in. So yeah, I mean, I think, all, yeah, it's, it's not everyone's safe, right? I think that's what you learn. It's like the countries are all the same. Everybody's good and bad. It's just in Africa, you've only heard the bad. So you go and you're really surprised when you see the cool, good things you didn't know exist. In the US, you only hear the good things. So my husband, who's Ethiopian, when we came here last year, I was telling Susan, like, he's like, this country is so corrupt. What, it's so inefficiently run. Like, I mean, he's like, he's just amazed because you only hear good things. He's like, the only good thing about this country is the marketing that Hollywood does. Like that, you know? <laughs> He's like having a miserable time because you know he expected something really good, and it's the same. It's the same. People are the same everywhere you go, like I that. I think one of the um, sorry, um, I think thinking about okay, it's on. Thinking about the question that Ruth asked, yeah. like how do you know? You did mention earlier in your uh, slides that you know you just have to be responsible. Yeah. And when you were planning this backpacking, that is one thing that you are you took very serious to heart mm -hmm. because you want to be able to, you know, you just just because you're traveling, you're backpacking doesn't mean you can just go clubbing and partying. You have yeah. to know where to go and set your boundaries. It's really important, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's I do remember like one time in Mozambique where like a lot of backpackers were going to a club that like had a horrible reputation. So like I didn't go. It's like not my vibe. It's super shady. I like I didn't want to do that because again I wouldn't do that here in the U.S. Um, yeah, you know. And I also think I mean truly like the, the gun violence in America is also a, a problem. Um, so in Ethiopia, like when I was in Lalabella, I remember like asking the guy. He was like telling me like not to walk home alone. Like don't go back to the hotel at night. And I was like, what would happen? And he's like, well, somebody might steal your back. And I was like, like, what else would they do? And he's like, they might slap your face. And I was like, in America, they would kill you. They would shoot you, you know? So I feel like the, um, you know, there's like stories of backpackers who, who would get robbed. Like their, their taxi driver would take them out of where they're supposed to be going to like a rural area, take their wallet. And then the story was always like, and then he would give me $5 back so I could still catch a bus back to the city. <laughs> Like that's so sweet. Like it's like the nice. Like you're gonna get robbed. Like get robbed in Africa because like in the U.S. it's gonna be significantly worse. I think, right? The gun violence in the U.S. is so bad. I didn't find the same to be true there. Um, yeah. And in eight years of living in Ethiopia, we only had one kind of bad issue, and it happened kind of around like the political problems. And even there, I mean, not fun. But again, it, like it would have been significantly worse if it, the same thing happened in the U.S. Um, yeah. All right. My question is just a summary. Yeah. Um, you said so much of your experience, you interact with people and what you see physically. Uh -huh. But at the end of the day, what you discover in terms of culture that you did because you said so much, so powerful that you didn't know Africa. Yeah. And then you went there uh -huh. and you spent so much going through all the country. But how do you summarize? Not the people you see per se, because uh -huh. some people you eat food. But what are the fundamental culture that you discover that you had never known before? Yeah, good Not question. just the people, but the culture. Culture should be clear around you. Because yeah. the people, the food, whatever you did, they are all physical. Mm -hmm. But out of that, you will learn something. 
yeah. a character, a certain situation, environment that you discover mm -hmm. that you felt probably is not in America. <laughs> Very much not in America. Um, I mean, I think some of the things, especially living in Ethiopia, is the value of community, prioritizing relationships. Um, you know, in the U.S., I'm always in a hurry. In Ethiopia, if if somebody, in Ethiopia, if I was in a hurry and I ran into someone, that person, if he was in a hurry, he'd still take the time to ask me, like, for 10 minutes, how's your mom? How's your dad? How's your cousin? Like, they take time. Like, they take time, um, and you can always count on them. You know, even. Today, I know if we have a problem, I'm always gonna call our Ethiopian friends first. Like, if I have to drop my kid off anywhere unexpected, it's my Ethiopian friends, because they would just do it. You're just there for people in a way. In the US, it feels like more of an inconvenience. I wouldn't just drop people off. I don't know, so community, I think is really important. Um, learning not to worry. You know, I really, I just picture like my father-in-law always being like, God knows. And then it's just like, He's just so relaxed after that. Like, he really doesn't get caught. Like, I don't think they get as caught up in like what's going to happen tomorrow. They're much more present. Um, yeah, my husband's always telling me to like be here now. Just enjoy the moment. Don't don't stress about tomorrow. And I feel like I'm type B for an American, right? Like, I backpacked Africa with no map, not knowing where I was going. Like, I'm type B, right? In Ethiopia, they thought I was like the most stressed out person they'd ever met in their life, and I was like. No, you guys, I'm laid back. Like, you don't even know Americans. Like, I'm like the relaxed one. Um, so I think just, yeah, I think just trusting, relaxing, those are two ones. Um, being there for people in need. Hospitality, again, taking care of foreigners. I feel like that was really, in all the countries I went to, it's like people really valued that, which is, feels so much the opposite in the U.S., right? Um, so those are, I think, some of the things that stick with me that make me want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and now that sharing food is also a big thing in Ethiopia. I mean, I remember like we're eating chips and like the car beside us like rolls his window down and is like, can I try a chip? And like my husband's like, sure. And I'm like, what? No. And you know, Ethiopians, they eat off like one platter, which is like stressful because I take like little bites. I'm kind of slow and my husband and like his friends take these like massive bites and you're just like, the whole thing's gone. You know, but it's, I mean, it's also like so sweet and endearing. Um, I think the culture around children is really different. Whereas in Ethiopia, I feel like, like people, I, well, I mean, I really like that, like, like it's like more of a community setting. So one, kids have so many interactions. Like I see how my mother-in-law is so young because she always has like kids in her house. Whereas my mom doesn't see a kid unless we come to visit. Like she has no interaction with kids unless we come to see her. Whereas my mother-in-law is so young and I see how that keeps her joyful and happy. And then I see how the mom, she like the mom next door has somebody to watch her kids. So she's not stressed out. And I think that's big. And just how comfortable I think also men feel around kids. Whereas like my brother, my cousins, they don't babysit, right? But in Ethiopia, like I wouldn't, like some guy would find a kid and help him tie his shoes or do something like this. Just, it's not so weird, it's more, it's like human, like we should all take care of people. It's not just like, I don't know how to explain it. Um, another thing that we're really missing is in Ethiopia, it's really common to have like a housekeeper or someone to help you. And so in the US, I mean, it's really hard like to keep a house clean, to take care of your kids, to work, 
I'm always dropping the ball. Like either I feel like I didn't see my kids that much or I miss a client call or my house is messy. Like I can never balance it. And Ethiopia, I never felt that pressure. Um, and Addis, we had a girl who was like, she came from the rural area. She only had an eighth grade education. So she stayed at her house during the day. She helped clean, take care of the kids. At night, she's going to high school in the city. She has a safe place to live. She's with us. Like it's just safe and nice and everybody's helping everyone. And you know, here, like the burnout from moms is really hard. And I don't feel like you feel that in, in Ethiopia or other African cultures. Um, so that part's, wow. It's so much, I mean, in some ways, it's so much nicer to like raise kids in Ethiopia than I think here in the US. You know, they grew up around people and family. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, it truly does. I'm, yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot. Yeah, and even just like we have to take my son to preschool so that he can like meet other kids, right? But in Ethiopia, I don't even know if we'd ever have to do that because there'd just be like a million cousins and neighbor kids everywhere and around. You don't have to like try and socialize them. Like it's just built into society. Um, yeah, and then you, I, I just think when you look at how many Americans have depression and feel lonely and feel burnt out, I think it's like the way we're, we're set up to be so like independent, you know? It's like the strength has become your weakness in some ways. Yeah, that's a good question. I think the idea of community also, uh, like it's also uh, a fallback to the idea yeah. of security. Yes. You have a sense of security because like when you live in a community like this, yeah. like everyone knows that it's okay. Yeah, yeah, if something happens, you, I mean, even the fact that you can, I feel like you can borrow money a little bit easier. Like if something happened, you have a fallback, you have people who are gonna be there. Here, there is like the pressure of like, if one of us loses our jobs, we have a mortgage, there's no one here. Like, what do you do? It's really, it's so scary, you know? Yeah. Now, I'm just so surprised. Like, can I have a, yeah. I, I just want to share my, my experience. Because Please. I came to the US recently. Where, where, where are you from? Cameroon. Cool. Yeah, so uh, I was also uh, surprised that people are very friendly in Pittsburgh. I have uh, not been to so many parts of the U.S., but I've been to, uh, to, to Texas, uh, mm -hmm. precisely to Houston and to San Antonio. And it was quite different. And, but, but the truth is that living in Europe for five years, uh, I think, the U.S. is way better in terms of people okay. being friendly. Okay, because yeah. I was surprised, like, sometimes I'm walking to take the bus mm -hmm. and someone is just sitting maybe in front of the house and they are just greeting me. They don't even know me. Yeah. But I've never, like, had this experience in Europe. I've lived in Norway, I've lived in Germany, I've lived in Poland, wow. but I've never had this experience. Yeah. So I think uh, that culture where people are friendly I find it in Pittsburgh, but mm -hmm. I don't know about other, like I said, the other parts of the, the, the country, yeah. but I think I find that in Pittsburgh. Even at the city center, people see you and they greet you. Yeah. And it's so surprising because I was thinking that it might be worse compared to Europe, mm -hmm. and it's even better compared to Europe. So this is my experience, and I think if I were to live in the US, I'm going to choose Pittsburgh, to Aww. be honest. That, you should do like marketing for the Pittsburgh city or something to attract more people here. I, I That's guess. fantastic. I think it is like, 
I mean, I don't know if people are as friendly like in New York or certain cities, but I find Pittsburgh also very friendly, very like Midwest nice kind of vibes. Um, yeah. I, I guess the question I struggled with with that friendliness when I first came here was, was it really genuine or mm. it was just a matter of I see you and that's it? Yeah. What is a little bit different from our African culture? Yeah. It's like, are you really there? You know, how are you doing? How is yeah. your family and stuff like that? And we were struggling with the, we call it the fake American smiles. Like you meet someone, a stranger coming, they say like, oh, someone. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, these fake smiles, what is behind that? You mm -hmm. know, but. My husband talks about that a lot. Um, he hates like those waitresses that are really cheery. He's like, it's so fake. And I was like, I was one of them. Like I used to be a waitress in college. Um, we had a grumpy waitress recently and he's like, finally, someone who's authentic. And I was like, she's so grumpy. Um, and then like last night, actually he went to um, Trader Joe's for the first time. And he's like, this is where the lively Americans are. They're not dead inside in Trader Joe's. Like he was really like happily surprised with Trader Joe's. Um, and the people, they work there. But yeah, I think a lot of times in America, we're like, hi, how are you? Yeah. I don't stay to listen if you said, I mean, if you said bad, I wouldn't have even heard you because I've already passed you, you know? So I think that's there. In Ethiopia, I feel like, um, you know, you're kissing three times in the cheek. You're almost like holding hands the whole time you're talking. Like it's harder to hide it. Um, yeah, or there's more even like, I feel like sayings to say like, God knows, you know? Like, like <laughs> so you know that means it's bad. Um, but yeah, so I think people are nice, but it can be a little bit shallow because again people are in a hurry so we're like very friendly and polite but maybe not always available emotionally to listen because our eyes are gone because we're thinking about tomorrow yeah, yeah. i don't know um so two questions and then once you answer these two questions um i would like to i would like for you to answer the third one okay. so because <laughs> I mean, they might trigger like a, a long response okay so um during your time out in Ethiopia and also during your trip from Cape Town to Cairo, did you um, learn or pick up any uh, African languages or dialects? And also, um, why did you guys leave Ethiopia for uh, Pittsburgh? Oh, yeah, that's a long question. Okay, so um, I always found like you get anywhere in the world, wherever you travel, if you can pick up a few words, it really goes a long way. So in every country I was traveling, I tried to learn a few words. Um, I feel like Swahili was a lot easier to learn. And I do remember being like on a, one of those like motor taxis and yelling like, poly poly, like slow down, you know, like it still stuck with me. Um, and I remember like one motor, ta motor taxi like pulled over and put, gave me his headphones and he gave me that song like, don't worry, be happy, like the Bob Marley song. <laughs> and I had to listen to that for the rest of the time. <laughs> um, and then in Ethiopia, man, I have tried to learn Amharic so hard. I have taken lessons, uh, Obviously, my husband only speaks Amharic. We're trying to make our kids bilingual. I have found it tricky. I have very many embarrassing mistakes of saying the worst thing. Like, <laughs> one letter difference can be really different. Um, so I would say, like, my Amharic in Ethiopia is better than, like, a typical expat because I really care, and I've been there long enough, and my husband's there, and I can get around, and I'm vegan, so I'm very good about ordering my food, very good about giving directions, um, certain kinds of things. But also, because some of my accent is good, I like agree to things and people think I know more. And then I'm like, mm-hmm, is she, is she? And like, I'm like, just saying I'm agreeing. And then my husband's like, you just invited them to our house next week. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> you know, so I like, I would say it's not great, but I heard there's an Amharic class here. So maybe I'll sign up because yeah, I really want my kids to be bilingual. 
Um, and then the reason why we left Pittsburgh, or the reason why we came from Addis to Pittsburgh, partly is truly because after eight years living there, my husband has an Ethiopian passport, which means it's impossible to travel anywhere. So we tried to get him to the US on a tourist visa. Um, it, they didn't give him a tourist visa. Like despite being married to an American for several years, he couldn't come here. So he had never like met my grandma. He had never met my parents. Um, and so, it was, and then we like tried to go to my sister's wedding in Europe and he couldn't get the visa for that. So it's like really frustrating as a family to be on different passports. And then Ethiopia started to have some political conflict and um, the, I would say the U.S. Embassy reacted negatively and there was a lot of protests against Americans. So for the first time in Ethiopia, I felt a little bit like less safe. Like I did lie and say I was Canadian in every taxi. Um, and all the expats had already evacuated except for our family. And then the U.S. still wasn't giving my husband a visa. And so it, because then at that time we had my son, you know, we were a little bit less likely to take risk. And so we were like, we're going to be one of those families that like just like lives in a third country. Like I'm not welcome in his country. He's not welcome in mine. Now we're in a third country trying to get visas. And it was a little bit stressful. So finally we got um, like an emergency green card because the political tension was like getting a little bit scary. I think it's like a lot better now. Um, and my husband was working for a U.S. outsourcing company that has headquarters here in Pittsburgh. So they transferred him here. He got a job. Um, we really liked Pittsburgh. Things have calmed down in Ethiopia. We would love to like go back eventually. Um, but in the meantime, we're here honestly till he gets like citizenship, you know, just to get a U.S. passport. And we're all in the same, all able to travel and live in the same countries. Um, and again, Ethiopia is really, I mean, Pittsburgh's really nice. Like I feel like nobody knows Pittsburgh is nice, just like nobody knows Africa is nice. Like they, they share that problem, like the reputation is not great. But when you come here, people are nice, it's green, lots of places to walk, family friendly. So yeah, we're really enjoying Pittsburgh. And now my husband works for a company in DC and he's 100% remote, but we just bought a house like last month because we just wanted to stay here. So yeah, now we're here, that's a long story. You mentioned that um, when you did your trip, you didn't have like a, a physical map with you. So how did you know how to get around? Like yeah. I, I know you had the um, the, uh, the tourists, I mean the, the other like backpackers and yeah. the locals, but excluding them, did you have like a, a phone and then like GPS or like what no. did you? Okay, so this was 2013. So like not as much was like on the phone. I would say most of the backpackers had like a lonely planet. I was the only one who didn't have it. I found it like annoying to take. I would just go like, Lonely Planet um, tells you what to do in like every country. They have like books, like a travel guide, but they do have a lot of routes, but I feel like they're kind of useless because there's so much construction and development in African countries. I felt like a lot of the advice, like advice wasn't right. Like it was outdated or wasn't true. I would just like go to the bus stop, ask them how do they get to the next spot. And then they would be like, buy a ticket, come here at five in the morning and then you get there. And then I'd get to the next spot and then I was wrong, they were wrong, and then I had to take another bus back and then try again, and then eventually I got it. But yeah, I just ask people the whole way, like, how do you get to the next city? And then somebody tells you. Oh, um, can I just ask one more question? Um, so, like, how did you, like, how do you remember, like, each, like, uh, each, like the next city, like, how, like, uh, save you, yeah, like in Mozambique, for example. Yeah. Like, how did you know, like, oh, the city's up north and the name? And yeah. How long did it take for you to plan your entire trip? You literally, it's like day by day. 
backpacking's like been the best life lesson because like sometimes in business I really want to plan things out and I'm like I didn't know anything when I was backpacking you just figure out like the next city so when I was like in I'd, I'd get to the capital city I'm sitting at a backpackers and then you would see a flyer that said like um, come to our lodge there's elephants here and I'd be like that's cool so then I would just ask them how do you get a bus there and then when I was at their lodge I would see like another flyer and then I'd want to go there so it was like all word of mouth and just going city by city there was no plan and I would say I never knew where I was going next outside of a day or two yeah and one time I remember getting on the bus um, like I was in Rwanda and I was trying to get to like three hours away to the gorilla trekking place and I fell asleep and I ended up in Kampala like eight hours away so then I literally had to like get to Kampala buy a bus ticket and then go eight hours back to my gorilla trekking experience so there was a lot of like like every backpacking story I have was I was lost and then like that's like how all my stories start and then somebody helped me and then I took another bus ticket and then I spent money and hours doing the same thing because I messed up the first time yeah what's your question okay uh, so my question is obviously Africa is a very diverse place with a lot of cultures and communities and you talked about having to move from one place to another obviously in a very short period of time but i mean coming from nigeria here like yeah. the cultural shocks were incredible yeah. uh, so i'm asking for someone who was moving across countries in such a short period of time how were you able to adjust to every country's you know culture or the way yeah. of doing things and were they countries that were easier than others and if possible which ones were easier than others yeah i mean i think the only one that was a little bit easy was south africa like that was the only one that felt like a little bit more what i was used to every other one was very different i don't know how you had like i adjusted i made a lot of like cultural mistakes I'm sure like I feel like just being nice and friendly people at least know like your intentions are sometimes good um, or people tell you I feel like everywhere I went people were very proud like every time you hitchhike it's like getting like a history lesson like the driver will just go on and on about like their country what they're proud of like I think you know people will see that I'm a foreigner and they'll tell me like have you tried this have you done this you know in Ethiopia you go and they'll tell you like there's a proverb for everything so you hear like a different proverb every day so I think I think just being open to like hanging out with locals as well like not just hanging out with backpackers but I think that helps um, and again I think you learn a lot more about the culture when you're actually living there like so my experience in Ethiopia is significantly deeper because of like my husband and living there for so long than it is in the other countries where I learned like the cool things and some fun cultural things but I don't know as much as their cultures as like I do about the Ethiopian one I don't know if that answers your question Oh, we're all short. I know we're over time. It's, well, it was really just a comment. I just think it's a really powerful connection between your experience traveling and transitioning to your um, business here, too, was about really, like, I feel like with students today, especially coming out of the pandemic, they don't always get the power of talking with people. You know, so much is virtual. So much yeah. is in the phone these days. And I think that is an incredible lesson from Africa and from the continent is that value of personal connection. Um, well, and so like any other ideas of how to like promote that to young adults and young people? I don't yeah. know if you thought about that, but like I just thought of that connection and I think yeah. it's a really powerful one. 
Yeah, that's a great question. I would say in Ethiopia, like doing business is so different. It's like you don't even talk business until you've had food and like a three-hour coffee ceremony, and then maybe you do business because you like like that person. Where in the U.S. is very transactional. Like within the first 15 minutes, you know if you're going to work together based on how you can like help each other. Um, so it's, yeah, more relationship-based. I think for students, it's really about just like. I don't know how much you can understand until you go there. So I would just, I know you do lots of cool like internships and cultural experiences and studying abroad. So I would say just, you have to go there. And once you go there, you get the travel bug and then you don't want to go back. Like I'm sure after your time in Tanzania, do you want to go back to a different country? Like a different, like, did you like yeah, in, in Africa or anywhere. Um, do you feel like excited to go back somewhere? Yeah, but I think probably just like more planning. Okay, more yeah. Yeah, I think like once you, yeah, once once you go once you go once, you're not gonna be afraid to go the second time, and your second trip will always be better because you learned all the lessons from the first trip, right? When I went to Ethiopia, it was like a volunteer. I had everything planned out. I spent a lot of money on like an expensive guest house. So then the next time, I went backpacking, no plans with a tent, right? So you do it differently. So that's why it's like great to do different experiences because your second one will probably be even better. So I think people like students have to go and see it themselves. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, thank you guys for having me. It's really nice to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Valerie. Um, it was such an honor to hear from you, like the authentic perspective and experiences you've had in Africa. And we are just so grateful and hopefully we can have you again. Um, yeah. And we will try to promote the event. We did, we just don't know, maybe it's because it's Friday and you know, most of our students are out. Uh, but we do hope that you know, we can have you come back to uh, campus, maybe not this fall semester, but in the spring semester. Because yeah. this is really rich and like, there's so much to share and mm -hmm. there's so much our students can also learn from you, um, hearing what it was like for you, you know, backpacking and all the bravery yeah. and the effort you're putting to what you're doing. Um, and the business ideas that you're already having. So this is really great stuff, and we just cool. want to thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys for having yeah. me. Truly, like, there's so, I mean, I feel like this was so short, even though I know it's like 33 yeah. slides, like death by PowerPoint. But it's like, to talk about business and investment in Africa, that's like an entire thing in and of itself. So hopefully this just like prompts more conversations because there's so many cool opportunities. and. I didn't know any of this in college. Like I just stumbled across it. So the fact that students here are already so aware is amazing. Like yeah. you guys are doing a great job like helping students learn this. Like they're so lucky to to be exposed to you guys and what you're teaching them and showing them. So And yeah. to our audience too, thank you for coming. Um, I know this is a big thing for us because it's Friday, you could have been somewhere, yeah. but you chose to be here and really a very um, wonderful conversation, great questions. And uh, we will keep in touch, and I do have um, your contact information in case we need to spread the word out. The next time you are coming on campus, we will try our level best to get the audience. But this is a great start, this right? This is, this is yeah. good. I'm and uh, we just want to thank you so much, and um, let's give a round of applause to everybody and you. Thank you, guys. You're so sweet. Thank you. Thank you, Susan, for setting this up. Thank you.
If you enjoyed today's episode, it would be so helpful if you subscribed to the show and left a five-star review. If you have any questions or topics you want covered on the show, we would love to hear from you. This podcast is powered by Cradle. If you want to explore hiring from the continent, buying fair-made African products, or getting involved in our work, you can go to our website, cradle.com, spelled C-R-D-L-E.com, or send us an email at hello at cradle.com. See you next week. And as they say in Ethiopia, I'm Siganalo.